From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick. Big week for FSU hoops, both men's and women's. Men took down Virginia, number seven Virginia, on Monday. And then took down, and then the women took down number three Louisville on Sunday. We got that FSU softball, baseball, golf, a little bit of the NBA, some NHL, and maybe some Champions League all coming up in the next hour on the show today. As always, uh, I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. Austin, I was up in your neck of the woods this past weekend, Hotlanta. Tell me this, is the varsity overrated? I have only been there maybe two or three times, but I would say definitely yes. Uh, there are other, other other joints, five guys in particular, that make a better burger than them. I'm not much of a hot dog guy, so that side of their business oh, doesn't really do much for me, but... As far as burgers go, the varsity is just okay, whereas like there, there's other better burgers out there for sure. The varsity is not overrated, I'll ah, tell you that. I, lo- okay. I love it. I make it a point almost every time I okay. go to Atlanta to stop at the varsity. I love it. Can't, can't beat it. Sadly, you can't eat inside there at the moment due to COVID protocol that the varsity is following at the moment, but still great place to catch a bite whenever you're up north there but yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a tradition when you go to atlanta exactly just because it's not my cup of tea doesn't mean it, it can't be yours exactly so. exactly they got everything ice cream hot dogs burgers yeah. it's and onion rings too Ooh, yes onion rings oh, yeah. i will say yep onion rings but yeah as always also we are joined by our producer sebastian angel riano sebastian how's it feel to be the fourth place team in the central with your lightning sorry below my panthers <laughs> hey you know what else we have four games in hand Okay. Like, okay. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not worried. I mean, I know you're gonna ask me about the uh, the four out shutout that we suffered at the hands of the Canes earlier, um, or in last last weekend. Was, yeah, Saturday, I believe. Yeah, it was a Saturday. Oh, man, time flies. <laughs> but um, I'm not really worried. I'm not. I'm not. If there's anything that the team proved without a doubt last year, that they can figure it out. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning can figure out what's going on. They can address it. And they can adapt and, you know, push through whatever really comes their way with talent. Because that's what this team still has, even though, you know, Cap Hell made, made things a little uncomfortable for uh, our general manager. But um, we, we can work it out. I'm not, I'm not worried on the slightest. Yeah. That Florida series from last week, though, was incredible. Really? I still don't really know what to make of it. Um, it's just both teams are electric, and I'm finally happy that uh, the Panthers are delivering quality hockey to the rest of the state. Um, it's always good to see that, that, like, everybody else in Florida can enjoy the same level of hockey that uh, Tampa delivers uh, season in and season out. I'm happy hey, about it. I'm honestly it's, really happy. Hey, all we learned is that Florida has the two best teams in hockey right now. So that's what we learned from this series that past week. But let's get over to some FSU basketball because they had a heck of a week up both on both sides, men's and women's, like I mentioned before. FSU men's team, they improved to 13-3 and on the season with two wins last week against UVA and Pittsburgh. They also took over sole possession of first in the ACC with that Virginia loss to Duke on Saturday night. So FSU is now in the driver's seat. They control their own destiny when it comes to possibly winning their second straight ACC regular season title, which is unheard of. I did not think they were going to be the number one team in the ACC. I I think we were all expecting maybe two, three, four, because this UVA team is a stellar program, and they have been stellar for the past few years since losing to UMBC. 
but they are playing the right uh, ball right now, and they are just trying to keep winning games and just getting ones in the right column right now. So it's huge for them. And let's get let's start with the UVA game because we started the show during the first half of that game. We ended right about when they came back from halftime. Austin, that game was so impressive on so many levels for this team. What what is that exactly did was maybe an anomaly, and what wasn't? Um, really just the ability to make three-point shots because that's been the biggest inconsistency for this team. But throughout the first half, and not so much in the second, but the first half in particular, when the Seminoles got out to a 20-point halftime lead, it was largely because of the three ball. MJ Walker, uh, a couple other guys in the starting lineup, Wyatt Wilkes got one in there, the vanilla sniper. Uh, they, they were all contributing from beyond the arc, and Virginia, who was holding teams to, what was it, like 52 points per game, something like less that? Than, averaging less than 60, which is crazy. Yeah, less than 60 for sure. Uh, FSU just blew that completely out of the water. So really great showing from them. Uh, I, we, uh, you guys that were listening last week, you heard like our periodic check-ins. We were completely just astounded whenever we checked the score. FSU was up by 7, then 10, then 12, and it's, it's insane. They 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 blew UVA out of the water. It is something that we're that probably no other team will do this season, yeah. and it's crazy, especially cause I. If you told me this was in a packed Tucker Center, I would have believed it. But mm-hmm. there was about three thousand, four thousand fans there, and it was still that same kind of intensity that they bring with a packed house, and it's crazy to see that. So, Florida State. I mean, they had a phenomenal game, like you've probably seen already in the stat sheets and everything, but. Yeah, like you said, that three-point shooting really was the difference maker in that game. But also, they were forcing a ton of turnovers and just yes. forcing sloppy play from UVA's usually very precise and potent offense. And it's cr- and I know I use the word crazy a lot, because but it just <laughs> it just is one of those things that's yeah. crazy. I mean, they were playing that was perfect basketball from FSU, and it's something we might not see again. Yeah, it just defied all expectations. So I think the use of the word crazy is completely warranted. And you mentioned. Virginia's turnovers, FSU only had five in the game. I know that in the loss against Georgia Tech and some other losses earlier in the year, some of the sloppy wins also, turnovers were a really big uh, issue because they had double-digit turnovers in those games. Those were possessions where an extra uh, point or two on FSU's side could have changed the the tide of those games. So limiting those mistakes against a quality opponent in Virginia was the recipe for a great win last Monday. And that, and it also wasn't a game where there was a ton of fouls. It was a relatively yeah. clean game on both ends of the floor. I mean, uh, UVA only had 12 three free throws. FSU only had 13. So, I mean, FSU, for the past few games, they'd been getting upwards of 20 free throw attempts a game, but they were 10 for 13 from the charity stripe, which is big because I know in past games they maybe were slacking on that end, but they're doing all the right things at that moment in that game against UVA. And then we can kind of move on to the game against uh, Pittsburgh because... Some things went right, some things didn't, but they still managed to come out there with a win. They ended up winning 79-72. to Three-point shooting wasn't as hot, but what else did you see from that game? Um, I just saw great contributions from the bench. You had eight points from Balsa Koprovica, who I, I, I don't know if he's still dealing with the, the ankle issue or whatever he suffered in practice a couple of games ago, but he got eight points off the bench. Uh, Malik Osborne was starting in his place. He contributed 12. Uh, the starters were really good, and then obviously Scotty Barnes, uh, doing what he does, getting 11 points off the bench, uh, really leading the efforts. Uh, his his uh, his shooting was not great, but the the free throw percentage he he hit three of three, so that's been an issue for him earlier in the season. I think he was like a 50 some odd percent free throw shooter. So 
hitting all three of those attempts in a, a seven-point game was really important for FSU. Well, and Raekwon Graham, I mean, leading the team yeah. in points for two straight games against pre- two pretty good teams, too. It really is impressive. But I think this game, I know people will look at it and say, oh, they struggled against Pittsburgh. It was only it was a less than double-digit win for the team. But you got to remember, this was a very quick change. They were yeah. scheduled earlier on to play, who was it? Um, shoot. I'm trying to remember. Uh-huh. It wasn't UNC, um, but still, they had a game scheduled for this weekend, and that past weekend, and then it flipped last minute to a different to Pittsburgh, and so they had to scramble to come up with a game plan for them, and they ended up performing to the best of their abilities, and that's all you can really chalk it up to. But Raekwon Gray, I mean, the guy is like I said before, and I'll say it again: when he is confident in his game, he's one of the most dangerous people to stop because. He just starts running downhill, and you cannot stop the man. <laughs> yeah, every announcing crew, when when, they, when it's their first time covering an FSU game, they, they love <laughs> to mention how he, he lost some weight in the offseason. He's put on some muscle, reinvented his body. He's this big 260-pound monster that is just a force in the paint, and even outside the paint. He's hitting shots outside there, too. But, I mean, it's, it's all true. I, I understand that some people on Twitter were kind of, kind of upset that Bob Rathbun and his, his co-caster were... Uh, sort of regurgitating known facts but i mean it's true it's the biggest part of his game and he's one of the biggest parts of why fsc was successful so recently so raekwon gray i think it's time we start talking about him as a legit maybe not a lottery pick so far uh but a, a definite uh, good nba prospect the likes uh, along the likes of jonathan isaac and Dwayne bacon and others to come out of fsu in recent years but where do you see his game i mean speaking to him as a prospect for the nba where do you see really his game fitting into where the nba is now because a guy yeah. like who can i mean he runs downhill he doesn't shoot the three that well he's really just a paint guy where does his game really fit into because he's six eight and there's a lot more there's centers a lot taller than him that can get rebounds so i don't like it's <laughs> tough to find a spot for him in the nba but he's a great college player at this moment he is yeah there's a team in houston that is trying to lose some size right now <laughs> they're trying to go with christian wood over demarcus cousins at their center position which we're going to get into later potentially but i mean that's that's one franchise that kind of comes to mind right now if he were to go in the draft this year maybe uh, yeah that's a good point i really wasn't pinning him for houston <laughs> just because i don't know what the heck's really going on down there know. like they're they're a mess let's put it that way yeah. but still i mean yeah i i'd be really interested to see how his game can translate to the nba just with how he plays because it's not that it's more old school i mean he he would do well with charles barkley on his team yeah. i mean imagine that matt that might be one of the heaviest teams in the nba <laughs> Yeah, that would be really fun to see. Uh, Chuck does not really like the way the game is going right now, so sort sort of an old head and a, an old-style guy, I think they'd be great together. Exactly. They're two peas in a pod. Yes, sir. But yeah, but we can talk about the rankings a little bit, because I know FSU, they jumped from 16 all the way to 11. Is there any little bit... Let's put it this way. If you saw UNC, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, any other typical blue blood with this uh, resume, would they be top 10? I think they'd be top 10, but just narrowly, because the Big Ten and the Big 12, which make up a lot of that top 10, I think it's like seven out of 10 teams uh, of those top 10 are from those two conferences. Those are really deep conferences, and they beat up on each other. They might not have pretty records, but that's just because they go toe-to-toe with each other. Those top dogs at the top of the conference, it's not just uh, Ohio State or Michigan just beating up on the other underlings. So there are going to be a lot of scary teams to come out of those conferences when it comes to tournament time, but I I I don't think that really the pedigree of a UNC or a Duke would be enough to sort of unseat those guys at the top of the table. A game, a matchup that I would love to see right now, and I just a purely like really interesting game to watch, I think Alabama against Florida State. I think that would be a really interesting game, the way Alabama plays their offense especially. Mm -hmm. 
and the way that FSU has been able to stop some really good teams who can put up those big numbers. I think take, uh, going toe-to-toe with Bama will be a ton of fun, and maybe maybe that could be a tournament matchup coming down the line. Who knows? Yeah, I was talking about there's no one clear best team in the conference for the Big 12 and the Big 10, but Alabama is exactly that in the SEC. They are taking that conference by storm. They're known as a football school, but heck, they're ranked sixth in the basketball rankings, so really turning into a, a two-sport athlete here. They're really lucky. Let's just put yes, it that way. Yes. So lucky. I mean, like, having that kind of talent in, uh, in multiple sports is impressive, but doesn't, but hey, FSU's got a lot of that, maybe not in football, but <laughs> hey, they got a lot of talent everywhere else yeah. when you come to look at uh, their teams and programs. So we'll talk a little bit more about some of the other programs around FSU in just a moment here, but one last closing thought on the Knowles. I mean, They've been playing, like I said, really, really solid basketball. I mean, they are one of the best teams in the nation, arguably. They got a pretty easy stretch coming up to finish their season. They got three road games and one home game. Their last home game will be March 3rd against Boston College on a Wednesday. But they got Miami, UNC, then BC, then Notre Dame to close out this season. What are you expecting them to be finishing out this season in those four games as? It's a pretty easy schedule on paper. The UNC game definitely sticks out because it's at Chapel Hill. UNC is um, having a resurgence after their down year last season. If FSC were to lose a game, I think that would be the obvious choice. Uh, But they just cannot let any of the other three games be trap games because we saw that happen with Virginia against Duke on Saturday night. Everybody was writing Duke off, especially because Jalen Johnson opted out uh, way late into the season. But they picked up a huge win to spoil Virginia's uh, conference ranking and potentially their uh, their ACC and NCAA tournament outlook. But uh, yeah, you, you cannot have trap games of that nature, especially against really the dregs of the ACC in Miami and Boston College. Well, yeah, that I yeah, the, I think UNC, you're right, is the trap game right out in front of us all. But uh, it's it's seeming like it might be coming down to FSU winning this ACC regular season title yeah. just because both Virginia and FSU, they both have pretty easy schedules coming down the uh, lane here. Virginia has... After this Duke loss, that 66-65 loss, they got NC State at Virginia. Then they got Miami at Virginia. And then Virginia travels over to Louisville. So maybe Louisville was the would be the one game that could give them a scare coming down the stretch yeah. in the last game of the year. But I think FSU has a really good chance at taking this ACC regular season title again. I do too, but I just don't want to speak it into existence because, I mean, the, the team was super clutch last season. There were a couple games, like the one January against Notre Dame, and then a, a couple more down the line where... Their, uh, their number one spot in the ACC was uh, in jeopardy, uh, but then they, they were super clutch down the stretch. They took that away from Duke. I think it was, was it Virginia that took down Duke, or was it Wake that took down Duke late, way late in the season last year? I think it was Virginia that took down Duke. Yeah, th- there was that one game. It, it was on a Monday night after one of our meetings. We were mm-hmm. all, like, tuning in to see if FSC would be able to retake that top spot. But, I, I, yeah, they were super clutch. I am confident that this team can stay, st- stay strong and hit uh, maintain this hold on number one but I just don't want to say it for sure for certain I'm gonna say it for certain because I know (laughs) FSU is kind of that way with their uh title hopes because I mean last year I was at the last game of the season against Boston College when they won the regular season title they had the banner already up there I noticed it I tweeted it out and everyone's like oh my goodness they actually have that thing up there and I was like I mean they're playing Boston College I mean they should be winning this game here but still I I from what I see I know this is gonna look really bad when they yeah. when they lose to UNC this weekend or what? Uh, yeah, this weekend on Saturday. But ooh, I really do believe this team has is 
I'm going to give it 90% chance to win the ACC regular season title right now. That's bold, but like you said, it is sort of in line with the way this program and this school operates because this season they they hung the banner that said uh, uh, finish fourth in the the, the AP poll. So, I mean, that's they're claiming anything they can get. And then the the banner you mentioned, I was at that game also. I was going to post a picture, but I didn't want to be the guy that got recognized as the jinx i, I, I did ha- i did it I'm i was ha- the I'm guy happy, i'm happy that you <laughs> fell on your sword even though it didn't end up mattering but i was the guy I, well i prefaced it too i think i said something along the lines of like oh this could be bad for fsu yeah. I, a little bit bold of them to hang this banner now before everything's right. all settled but still i really do believe they have a good 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 chance of winning this regular season title but yeah, that will all be said and done in a couple of weeks. I mean, geez, we're all, we're down yeah. we're down to March Madness in a couple of weeks, and Crazy. I'm yes, finally, yeah, I'm excited for that. But let's get over to the women's side real quick because they had a good week. I mean, one and one. I know that's usually not what we would consider a good week for this women's program typically, but when your one win out of those two games comes against the number three team at home. Really good week, especially to close off that, especially when you started your week with a 62-48 to loss to Georgia Tech. Yeah. So uh, Coach Wyckoff was able to get the win 68-59 to in the Tucker Center against number three Louisville. And that's a huge win and a huge morale boost for this team because I know a lot of the team, like every single time we talk about this, it's that consistency. It's yeah. up and down. This has been a roller coaster season for this program. But they found it in this game. Morgan Jones, I mean, she was driving the lane with such confidence in that game. It was unparalleled. Yeah, it was really fun to see. Um, there were a couple of us media members in the press box for FSU's doubleheader against UNF in, in baseball. And sort of on our, our second monitors or in another tab, we had opened the, the stream of the women's game because nobody expected FSU to really contend with Louisville all as much as they did in this game. So Kurt Weiler and Chris Nee and all those other guys covering baseball were like, wow, the women are actually going to do this. And they, they went and did it. Yeah, and they and they got some pretty good wins right now. They're three, was it? They're three and four or three and one in their last four games yeah. with a win over Syracuse, Miami, and now Louisville. Yeah, and, and that one loss, like you, you mentioned, the blowout loss to Georgia Tech. They are the third best team in the ACC right now. Exactly. So, I mean, they were facing. We talked about it. They were facing pretty much a murderer's row down the stretch. If that Georgia Tech loss is the only blemish, then I'm okay with that. Yeah, in those four games, two, Louisville was, is the number one team in the ACC. Tech is the third best team. Syracuse is the fourth best team. And then Miami is a little bit down the line, but that's a game they won still. Yeah. So that's a really good uh, confidence boost and really can show you this team can compete. And they might be in the running for the uh, tournament title come that time in a couple of weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Uh, which which tournament are we talking about? ACC? Oh, ACC, sorry. Okay, yes, yeah. ACC women's tournament. I was so, going to yeah. say, we're getting a little oh, no, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going out there and saying that they're going to win win it all no. in, in the NCAA tournament, but they're building up that confidence that can really push them forward, and they're getting hot at the right time. Exactly, and it's sort of what we saw last season before the uh, before the really women's college scene came to an end uh, after the conference tournaments. I think FSU was, what, were they, were they the three or the four seed in the ACC tournament? Something about that, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in that range, and then they made a run to the ACC championship game, that final game against, was it NC State, I believe? where they came up short. Yes, it was NC State, yeah. yes. So not a great performance from them there, but they have shown uh, under different leadership and with different players, albeit, that they can get hot at the right time, they can win any given, any given game on any given day, and this Louisville game is a perfect encapsulation of that. They limited, F- uh, FSU limited Louisville to 3 of 20 from three-point range, which uh, is really helpful when you're trying to keep a team with you, a team as dynamic as Louisville is, so... If they can replicate that performance against one or two teams come tournament time, they can definitely uh, make a nice run like they did last year. Yeah, and this I mean, we're not saying this game was all uh, sunshine and roses no, the whole no. time because 
where Louisville shot 15% from three, FSU only shot 23%. So, I mean, yeah. it's not, I mean, they they may, brought Louisville down to their level and said, you're going to play our basketball this mm-hmm. game. And that's really what pushed them over the edge there. And it's it's impressive to see because Louisville shot 35% from field goal range, FSU 317 but and both teams had both eleven turnovers, so yeah. FSU really made the most of those turnovers and was able to capitalize. And that's something that's huge against that Louisville team because if you let Louisville do their thing and you sit back, you're done. You are not going to win that game. You are probably going to get blown out. Yeah, and, and Louisville could look at this as an anomaly because down the stretch when uh, FSU was turning the ball over, they just couldn't really find the basket. A lot of their late points did come from free throws on both sides mm-hmm. uh, when they were trying to foul to get back into it, but. Uh, yeah, it, it was really, really strong from FSU uh, after giving up. I mean, I, I was going to reference the three-point shooting for the opponents in the Georgia Tech game, four of six for 67%. That's really low-volume shooting, but it's still 67%. You so. make you make the shots that you take. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. all that counts. You you know how to, they knew how to play their game, and yeah. sometimes you and you have other games like this where it's just bad. Yeah. It's just awful shooting. I know I heard was watching some more of the highlights uh, again today and i one of the broadcasters is saying it's not this is not a shooting clinic by any stretch of the no. imagination and i think that is a very good uh uh phrase to put it there yeah it, it's a good phrase to put it but it's also kind of ballsy because i would not say that on on my employer's network i mean as true as it may be yeah i guess so but hey you got to you got to tell the truth every now and then yeah. when it comes to this you can't sugarcoat it it's that's how it is i mean you cannot just say hey they're both shoot they're just they're, not, they're shooting good right now. I mean, they're, no, you, no you, they're you shooting. Say, they were shooting you, you bad. Can't say Both that, teams were shooting bad. Let's yeah. put it that way. I mean, that, twenty-three and fifteen percent, not good by no. any stretch of the imagination. If they got up to thirty, I'd be like, okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, thirty is about par for the course in women's, from what I've seen. Uh, the the UNC game that I covered a couple weeks ago, I think both teams were hovering around 20 there. So mm-hmm. there are a couple stinkers in that regard. But, I mean, when you're shooting habitually 20% and you bring the other team down to that level, so that's that's fine. It really is hel- good help for them. But, yeah, they got to they, – let's see what the rest of their schedule looks like coming up down the line here. The, after it's, it's this Louisville win, they got two games left. They got Notre Dame and Wake Forest. So yeah. a nice, easy finishing stretch for this women's mm. team. What you don't like – or Wake Forest, I know Wake Forest yeah. can, is pretty darn good, but – Notre Dame, I mean, it's nothing where nothing what we just saw where it was no. uh, GT, Louisville, Syracuse there for those four games there. So that's that. it's easier by comparison, I'm putting it that way. Definitely, yeah. Um, Notre Dame is a bit far down the table, but Wake Forest is right behind Florida State. I think they're both uh, at, uh, actually, yeah, they're both at 500 in the ACC. Actually, I, I don't have my glasses on. Florida State's 8-6. and six. Wake is 8-8, <laughs> eight and eight, but yeah. I leave my glasses in my car because I can't wear them with a mask. They fog up. True. It's, it's whatever. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, they're they're yeah. about the same talent yeah. level. But, hey, FSU coming off that big win really can help propel yeah. them through this one. I know that Wake game isn't until uh, February 28th, but still, they got a lot left to go. And yeah. it's going to be fun to watch them continue the rest of the season and get into that ACC tournament here in a couple weeks. Yeah. And I, I do just want to point out one thing before we switch topics, I assume. Uh, we've pointed out a couple times that FSU is really good at holding teams down in individual quarters, maybe not across the entire game. They've had a couple occasions where they've on- only surrendered seven or eight points to a team. They limited Louisville to nine in the second quarter, and that's where their comeback really started. They got out to a two-point halftime lead, so just closing the lid on the basket for even one quarter, for even ten minutes of play, is really integral to this team's success, and that's going to be something to look for in the tournament time. Well, and then also blowing them out of the water in that fourth yes. with 29-16 to 16 that's, in FSU's that's favor. 29 that, is massive. Yes, 29 is huge, especially in a quarter. So that really was, the; those were the two difference makers, really, mm-hmm. when you look at the quarter-by-quarter quarter, uh, tracker. But still, we'll, let's keep it on the FSU women's side of things here. We got softball. They had... 
they had their ACC pod this weekend in Atlanta. And it six games, four days, it's not what you exactly is. It's not ideal by any stretch of the no. imagination. I mean, that's a grind, and that's a lot of softball in a short period of time. They ended up going 3-0 and against Georgia Tech in their games, and then 1-2 and against Virginia. And I'll let you guess which game, which series came second. <laughs> Definitely Virginia Tech. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, that just really shows you how much of a wear and tear really put on this team towards the end of that trip because they weren't sleeping in their own beds. They were in Atlanta. They were spending long days at the ballpark. And it's just tough to recreate quality softball in six games in four days. Definitely. You mentioned long days, long days at the ballpark. A couple guys in the press box yesterday after being at the... Uh, at uh, Dick Hauser for seven or so hours, they were kind of out of it. But I mean, imagine playing in those games two two in a day or four four over six over four days. That is really going to take it out of you. Virginia Tech is a really good team, so they earned those wins. They must have been the better rested team by the end of this whole affair. But I don't think that this one and two series loss is indicative of the final standings in the ACC. No, by no stretch of the imagination. And speaking to the long days of the ballpark, you will go loopy sitting yes, in a yeah. press box for seven hours straight watching baseball or softball. It's just it gets to the point when you're in the eighth or seventh inning of a game, you're sitting there like, oh, my gosh, when is this going to end? Yep. It never and it never does. <laughs> yeah, regardless of who's up, you just want one through three innings the rest of the way. You just want to go home and lie down or just a seven inning game on both sides. Yeah. I mean, that's what they need to decide to do for baseball for uh, college doubleheaders. Mm-hmm. But still, that's why softball gets it right. They just do seven innings both sides. Sebastian is fuming right now. Seba- he, is, he is not a fan of seven inning games in, in uh, Major League Baseball. Sebastian, we're doing seven innings and you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> Grow the game, man. <laughs> but yeah, the yeah going that many times in that little short period is going to kill. But they do have a nice rest period. They did they have off until Friday. They take on Florida Gulf Coast here in Tallahassee for a two-game set. And then they also play Southeastern Louisiana. So they will also be playing. So they got three games. Once again, doubleheader. I know. Shoot. They just keep going <laughs> doubleheaders. So quit it with the doubleheaders. I just mean, put the, one on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> the competition in this, in this little uh, three-game set here is a little less than I would believe in the ACC pod. And you, you mentioned the doubleheaders. I was taking a peek at the schedule earlier. When they play these four-game sets over a weekend, those Saturday sets are always doubleheaders. So it's one on Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday. I was going to say oh, FSU just played a lot of games in a short amount of time. And then I looked at the schedule and I was like, oh, geez, they're going to they're gonna have to play a lot of games in a short period of time the entire rest of the way. Yeah, so yeah. Th- they're having some fatigue right now, it looks like, on those Sunday games. That cannot be the case when you're getting deep into the regular season, especially as a team that's pegged to win the entire conference. So, yes. so an increase in stamina is to be desired. Exactly, especially when the season end. The season doesn't end until May, or May 9th. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a long marathon with a couple sprints put in between there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a long stretch, but I really do believe this team has a great chance of continuing. I think having this Florida Gulf Coast, Southeastern Louisiana set coming up, Gives them a chance to really breathe and play a little bit lesser quality competition. I know Florida Gulf Coast, they're another Florida team. You can't really doubt them when it comes to softball as well. But still, it's Florida State is a different animal, and I believe they're going to kind of do pretty darn, or they're going to do well with uh, both those teams coming up. I agree, yeah. And having two games or uh, three games in two days is not quite as strenuous as what we've been talking about before. So I think that Coach Alameda is going to talk to her team, say, hey, you have, you have an opportunity to rest up a little bit compared to what we've been doing. You have an opportunity to fix your mistakes from past games, really get right against these two non-conference opponents, and then tune up for 
ACC play the rest of the way. So great opportunity here earlier in the season. Yeah, and we're and still this team's going to need to still see some uptick in production when it comes to some of their rock their rocks of this team. When yeah. you got Cassie Davis, Sydney Sherrill, Anna Shellnut, they're all batting close to the Mendoza line. Yeah. So I mean, that's not quality hitting. Something that you usually are used to seeing from those three players. That needs to get. That needs they need to pump those numbers up. I mean, it's that's lackluster yeah. right now for this team. Definitely, yeah. And just just a couple hits. Uh, let me see. There was one hit in the uh, the second Virginia Tech game that FSC was able to get, and then I can't see the stats for the, the second game right now. But just very limited offensive production on the back end of those uh, that that Virginia Tech series is really going to hurt those numbers. But. Maybe, like we mentioned, this series coming up this weekend is a good chance to pump those numbers up a little bit. Exactly. And once again, that could still be the fatigue in that one. Yeah. That was the last game you said of the VT series? Um, or it was one of the, either either yeah. way, it's one of the last two to three games of that VT series. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's the fatigue. It's one of those kind of things. It's just tough to really get up and go. Four hits across those two games. It was three in the, three in the second to last and then one hit in the last game. So definite definite improvements to be made yes for sure and there's going to be a lot more coming your way in the second half here we're going to touch on some fsu baseball we're going to get nba nhl maybe some champions league on the back half here we'll get to that and much much more uh you were listening to tomahawk talk on wvfs tallahassee the voice of florida state Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. I'm your host, Gary Putnick. I'm joined by Austin Reynolds and Sebastian Angel Riano over there in the production booth. We left off with some FSU softball talk, and now we're going to be getting into some FSU baseball, maybe a little bit of FSU golf, and then some pro sports coming in around the back half here. Let's pick up where we left off with baseball. And... Eh, that's yeah. eh, that's how that's how you put it. that's yeah. a perf- I think that's the best way you can put this weekend against UNF. They went two and one in their three game set against the Ospreys heading over from Jacksonville. And game one was quite the stinker, put it that way. I mean, seven to four loss on opening night. I mean, even Mike Martin said it just the way I did. That stunk. <laughs> yeah, he was really kind of livid. I, I I don't know what he said to his players before he uh, in the clubhouse before he came to his media session, but 
pretty much everybody in that Zoom call was kind of reluctant to ask him any sort of questions in fear of kind of setting him off. Oh, I, I know how those feel when uh, FSU drops a game to an inferior opponent like a UNF. And you got to go into, I mean, especially a Mike Martin, his father in a press conference. It's different. Everyone's like, who's going to ask the first question here? Because it it gets dead quiet. But still, it feels like FSU, when they get to those openers, it's either going to be a no hitter or it's going to be not so great. Yeah, because it was was the same story last season, right? In the abbreviated season, they lost opening night to to Maine. Is that right? Yes, it was Maine. Yeah, Yeah. and then they, they won the next two. So similar fashion there, but... Those Friday or Saturday night games, those season openers against inferior competition, you would think, are just kind of kind of biting FSC recently, and I'm not sure why. Well, yeah, and we and I, we talked about it last week when we were doing our preview. One of the guys who, at least I, Matt, myself, and I believe Max or Matt had it, the guys that they were looking out for is Parker Messick, and that's a guy that I've been talking up. I've been pumping his tires all off season. Yeah. I love this guy. He had great stuff in the abbreviated season last year as a freshman and then he gets the ball opening night as the starter and he comes out flat i mean yes. he just could not get it going i heard he lost some weight the hefty lefty needs some more of that momentum behind him there but it's one of those things i i'm going to chalk it up to opening night really his first start ever as a college pitcher because he came out of the bullpen in prior outings and maybe it was the nerves that got to him but i mean it's it's tough to really pin it on what it was. I mean, what did you see? You were there. I, sadly, I was not able to catch any of this game. Yeah, he, he was fine for really the first uh, couple innings, but just the the sixth, or the, not the sixth inning, I was looking at the number of runs that UNF scored. Uh, the third inning, the top of that inning, was just where he unraveled. There were some instances before where he would walk, walk a couple guys in a row and then uh, guys would make contact and the defense would sort of bail Messick out, but that third inning was just tragic by him. Yeah, and that and and it, he to, his final stat line was two point or two and a third innings, four hits, five runs, five of which earned a walk, three strikeouts, and a double and a home run, eleven batter, eleven yeah. at bats there total. So, not great stuff from him. But one or I don't know about stuff actually. Oh, that's why I was going to ask you. What did you see exactly from him in terms of stuff? I mean, was it there? Was he just kind of lobbing it over the plate at a cookie cutter speed there at eighty five miles an hour? I, I didn't think 85 miles, like, he wasn't throwing low-speed pitches. I mean, I'm not the, the baseball aficionado that some of the other guys were. Like, uh, Max Rundy, he was next to me. He is a much better baseball mind than I am. He was putting out really high-quality, uh, interesting tweets la- last night for FSU, or the, the WVFS, rather. Um, but he, he looked fine for really those first couple innings. I, I, I don't know. His stuff was obviously not there in the third, but it, it was just really a tale of two, uh, two sides for me. Yeah, and that's something I. Uh, he's going to be a developing story as we go. I don't expect him to get the nod for Friday. No. I mean, actually, he might because Martin uh, Junior might be that way where he goes to the guy and says, "You're going to get back out there and you're going to continue to try and push it because you got to get over it somehow. You can't just kind of sit there and dwell on those kind of mistakes." So, I hope that he gets to start actually Friday night because you want to see that in a guy, see how he comes back. I can see that. And there's there were in-game scenarios where guys, relievers specifically, would come out for a, fra- a fraction of an inning and they would give up a couple walks and Martin would be like, I've seen enough of you, get out of here. But th- those sort of game-to-game adjustments are a lot different than relying on guys to stay cool in the moment. So I, I can definitely see where he could make that decision to start messing again. Yeah, and for the quick pulls there, I mean, that's bullpen stuff. you got to be willing I mean, to go yeah. to your guy quick and just get him out there. That's what they're there for. It's a bullpen pitcher kind of job. Mm-hmm. But still, this team played well coming after that but still the pitching continued to not really be there entirely they were winning games they were scoring runs but they just 
could not really stop UNF from also scoring. I mean, if they didn't have that sort of offense, it was going to be a really bad weekend. Yeah, it, the only real highlights of the pitching this this weekend was Connor Grady. He pitched, I believe, just over four or five, uh, five, and, five and one-third scoreless innings for FSU in that first game against UNF. He did have two earned runs that came uh, when Tyler Ahern uh, entered the game. Uh, I think those were off of two walks early in the fifth inning. But, I mean, he was really lights out on Sunday nights. Uh, but really, just the starting pitching, the bullpen, was not there for FSU this weekend. And that's something that you harped on specifically leading up to the season. This needed to be a point of emphasis, a point of strength for FSU. Yeah, bullpen. I mean, that's just all baseball. It really yeah. comes down to how good your bullpen yeah. is because your starters can get you through seven innings. But if your bullpen is not there... You're going to give up five runs in the course yeah. of two innings, and you're going to be down in a hole. And if your offense, and it's tough to get your offense going in late halves of games, typically because everyone gets a little bit tired. You start to go, go through the motions, and you're just grounding out your top and balls. It's not the same. So, having that bullpen and being consistent and having that stuff is going to be huge for this team going forward. And to give you some perspective, they did uh, they won 14 to four in game two, and then eight to four in the uh, in the second game on Sunday. So. It is something where if, I mean, four runs, typically if you can score four runs in a baseball game, you have a very good chance of winning a game. Mm. So having FSU have those offensive production numbers is huge for this team, but still pitching has to be there. And especially once it comes to ACC time, it's going to be tough. And that's coming real quick because Pittsburgh's coming in this weekend. Yeah, Pittsburgh is this weekend. Some people could look at Pittsburgh's recent results. They played a series against, I believe, Central Arkansas or some Arkansas team. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. They lost that opening game, I believe, 0-4, to four, so it's pretty similar fashion to FSU, but came back strong in games 2 and 3. So people could look at that performance against uh, the team that Pittsburgh played and be like, this is an easy win for FSU, but conference play is an entirely different animal, so you cannot count on the, the guys that you think are going to produce a lot to sort of carry you through this series. You have to put in the work throughout the week, uh, even though this is uh, sort of an, an inferior opponent, we think. And especially, you also have uh, Virginia coming down the road yeah. in two weekends, and that's going to be a very tough matchup for this team because UVA, I know they might not be there in the standings at this moment, mm-hmm. but they're a good team. They will be there, and they will make it known that they are not here to lay down and die against you. Yeah, I, they were ranked really highly in the ACC preseason poll. I think they oh, might wait. have been. Whoa, sorry, yeah. I missed it. They're number two in the na- in national rankings. Oh, I just kind of skipped over them. I was like, where are they? They're usually up here. <laughs> yeah, they're number two. <laughs> they jumped up to number two. They were last at five. Makes sense, yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Just my great job of skimming over this really quickly. But still, even uh, even the rest of the state, I mean, that did, if you caught any of that UM Florida series, that was a great series. That, was, that could possibly be, I know it's really early in the year, but... Very good chance of being series of the season. I think so. Uh, I didn't catch a ton of uh, a ton of that game or that series rather because I was covering two of the games for FSU. But just seeing a couple clips on Twitter, uh, seeing people talk about it from around the state of Florida, that was a really good series to watch. And I'm kind of kind of miffed that I missed it, though. Happy to be covering games for FSU. I'm happy that we're playing baseball here. Uh, period. I'm happy that baseball is being played. So. Mm. I mean, that, that that was a really good series on paper, and I'm, I definitely have to go back and watch sort of the condensed games. Oh, exactly. Yeah, they they dropped the, the, the Canes dropped the first game. Florida came into the series being the number one team in the nation, and they just opened a new ballpark. Yep. Great uh, thing for them. It's really it's actually a really nice ballpark. It looks like a uh, look kind of looks like the Braves' new minor league or the Braves' new spring training park okay. down in Northport, but they dropped the the Canes dropped the first game uh, seven to five on Friday uh, on Friday night. Then they win 10-9 in 13 innings on Saturday, and then win 8-6 to six on Sunday to take the series win there in Gainesville, which is wow. huge. 
And uh, the Gators have now lost, what is it, their three out of their last four games, they've lost uh, their rivals in the state of Florida. Yikes. <laughs> so not a great look for the Gators. Yeah, that, that's kind of tough, especially when you're opening a new ballpark. It's not It's not going to sell tickets, though not a whole lot is going to sell tickets during a pandemic. But it's it's not going to inspire a lot of confident, confidence in their fan base. Exactly. In Florida State, they will be having the, uh, they will have, that's going to be one heck of a week, actually, yeah. March 16th through the 21st. They'll play the Gators on that Tuesday, and then they'll have the Canes for the weekend in yeah. game in my or sorry in Coral Gables, not Miami. But that's going to be I mean that's that's a really tough stretch. And then they got UCF coming up on the back yeah. half, who just had a tough series down in Boca Raton against the or no that was up in Orlando against FAU. Mm-hmm. That was an amazing story from that FAU freshman <laughs> who had two grand slams in his first two at bats of his Jesus. college career. So yeah, really great stuff. I mean we're gonna have a lot more baseball coming around as we move through the rest of this season, but let's get a little bit to the NBA because that has been chugging along like a machine. I know they had their COVID issues early on in the season, but now they're back up and they're moving. Yeah, we were uh, sort of light on NBA content throughout the first part of the season. We're already approaching the all-star break. I think teams have five or six or seven games left until that happens. So catching up to do right now, but uh, there's been a lot of storylines here. I mean, just last night, the Timberwolves fired their head coach, Ryan Saunders, son of Flip Saunders, I believe. So he might have been hired just based off the name or pr- 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 uh, primarily based off the name, and he, he was not the guy for them. Well, and they lost that game. to Was it the game that got uh, him fi- or their, the Timberwolves coach fired was to the Knicks? Yes. Yes. So Thibs getting some, uh, Tom Thibodeau getting some revenge on his former club. Yeah. I don't think that Thibodeau looks too uh, too fondly back on his time in Minnesota. Not though. at all. So, I would no. not. <laughs> yeah, so def- definite revenge game there. Uh, the Knicks are putting together a really solid squad, contending for the playoffs. I think they're, what are they, like 7th or 8th right now? Uh, th- they've been sort of flopping a- around the playoff line, but uh, yeah, that- that's they're, really good for them. They're at 7th right now at 15-6 okay. and six in the Eastern Conference. So they're really putting together a... A quality team right now because this wasn't—I mean, this wasn't expected from them. I mean, I was no. not looking forward. I was like, okay, they're the second. They're clearly, and no doubt, the second best team in that region in the New York area. Obviously, it's tough to compete when you have the offensive yeah. ju- the offensive juggernaut Brooklyn Nets sharing an area with you. Yeah, people were saying that before the James Harden trade, and then obviously once you add into that mix, it's it's just kind of a foregone conclusion. But. Uh, the Nets are no uh, no world beaters either. They've lost to some pretty shady competition. I think they've lost to the Wizards twice, the Pistons. Well, so. it's, well, yeah, it's because they have the like statistically the worst defense yes. of all time. Yeah. I mean, if the season were to end, I saw a stat. If the season were to end like today, they would have the worst defense, but the best offense of all time. Yeah. And it's it's crazy. Yeah, that's that's weird to think about. I mean, it makes sense when you uh, look into it a little further. They traded a lot of their bench depth to get James Harden. Uh, they could be looking at pieces. Uh, I, I'm forgetting the guy's name. Uh, Andre Drummond, maybe to to add him to the mix um, in free agency. But uh, they are definitely going to sort of regress to the mean in terms of defense and points scored. I think they're going to be uh, not as extreme as they are right now once it comes time for the playoffs. So. The, uh, they're going to be a tough out, but by no means just the favorites to win. Well, one one win that I thought was truly impressive was the Nets' win against Phoenix yes. last week. Yes. I mean, they were, was it down 20 at one point to Phoenix in Phoenix? And they come back and win that game 128 to 124. I mean, if that doesn't really show you how quality and how pretty much how they're the best team in this league, I don't know what will. Yeah, I mean, you get thirty point thirty eight points from James Harden and then Joe Harris, who is... One of the less talked about players on this team, he goes off for 22 points in 31 minutes. I mean, it's not just those big three. 
that are going to score points for the Nets and win them those games. There's occasionally going to be a guy like Joe Harris that steps up and joins that joins that tandem and really puts puts the win in favor of uh, for Brooklyn. And they didn't even have Durant or Irving that yeah, game. I mean, they so they they really put it to Phoenix, and I thought Phoenix was going to run away with that. I believe they sat their start uh, sat a lot of players coming down the stretch of that game, thinking mm-hmm. they were they had it. It was uh, all said and done. But then James Harden and the Nets kind of took over and came back to win that one. So that's going to be a really good team. Obviously, that's a really good team going forward. Mm But I don't... uh, Another team that maybe is struggling right now that I think we should talk about, the LA Lakers. One in three in their last four games, all without Anthony Davis. So not great basketball coming from LA at the moment. They did lose to the Heat on... Was it Saturday night? Yes, Saturday. Yeah, so that... 96-94. Exactly. And Miami, they were playing really good basketball that night. Miami, that was the best basketball we've seen the Heat play in a while. But still, there are bits... There are parts to be wanted from both sides still. For sure. I was going to make some comment to you about, oh, did the Heat get revenge for the finals? Obviously not. It's a regular season game compared to the the Larry O'Brien trophy. But uh, the the Lakers are in a definite tough spot without Anthony Davis. I believe the timetable for his return is about four weeks, uh, give or take, so closer to like three and a half because that's a time that's the amount of time it's been since he was injured so he's going to be gone through the all-star break uh, for a couple games after they come back from that so it's going to be tough sledding they don't have a true backup center really uh they got rid of dwight howard so it's going to be and javel and javel mcgee so it, it's really just a line of dudes waiting to get in the door they could get demarcus cousins we mentioned that he oh was released my goodness yeah oh no <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna do it they're gonna get him probably it's it's, it's probably gonna happen because like that's just the way that the chips fall when it comes to the lakers they get what they want yeah when they want it exactly yeah. so i mean but they do have on was it the 24th they have uh, a matchup against the jazz in utah so mm-hmm. i mean with ad being out four weeks this could be a really good time for utah to separate themselves yeah. from this and maybe possibly solidify themselves as the one seed which is huge to for la not to get yeah. that and maybe i know utah is having fans right now if they have if they have to go to a place where there are more fans mm-hmm. for more games than L.A., that that could spell trouble. Yeah, that's kind of tough. And, I mean, Le- LeBron said after the, the courtside Karen incident in Atlanta that he loves having fans in arenas. He loves the heckling. He loves playing in tougher environments. But he maybe don't say that when you have to play a playoff series against a team that has fans uh, for three or four games in a series. Those Mormons get get rowdy. Yes, so they I've do. Heard. They, they, <laughs> so they, I've heard. they get rowdy and uh, a little... <laughs> out of line i'll say that <laughs> yeah yeah oh out of line yeah. for sure yeah we they have had their fair share of incidents there. Yes. i know there was the russell westbrook one that stands out most recently but yeah there's going to be a lot a lot of good basketball coming down the stretch here i mean is there any other storylines that we, uh, we need to touch on here um nothing really that i can think of i just <laughs> I, I find it funny that trey young is playing his best basketball of the season since lloyd pierce has been out he took a, a couple of games off to be with his wife for the birth of their second child and then he was out for the game against the Nuggets last night uh, for COVID protocols. So Nate McMillan stepped in, former coach of the Indiana Pacers, and Trey Young has been playing a lot better. So maybe he's trying to get Lloyd Pierce sacked. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, that's that's a good theory there. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, one another highlight from that uh, from the weekend of basketball, uh, Patrick Williams with the half-court yes. shot. Yes. Leonard Hamilton retweeted, and he said, that's why we practice half-court shots yep. at the end of every single practice. Yeah, and it's it's really funny because people are, are calling him Kawhi Light. They called him that leading up to the draft because he is a really good two-way player. And when he was asked about that half-court shot uh, post-game, he said something like, I made a three-pointer, that's all. So just that just 
emotionless demeanor, not getting excited at all about hitting a half-court shot to beat the buzzer, that is the perfect encapsulation of what makes him Kawhi Lights. Yeah, usually you would see a player, he would get a little bit of a smile, like, yeah, that was a pretty cool moment, especially for one of your, I think, was that his first NBA three-pointer? I think so. So, I mean, that's a cool moment. That's something you're going to remember. But obviously on the statue, it's just going to be one for one, or one for whatever from three-point range. So, I mean, it's a cool moment for Patrick Williams. Hopefully he can continue it kind of going forward. The Bulls are just outside the uh, Eastern Conference playoff spot right now. They're, I think they're the ninth seed at this moment. But, yeah, that's going to – or, yeah, they're the ninth seed right now. The Heat just behind them half a game back. I mean, the East still got a lot of room to go. I mean, the Heat are yeah. six and a half games back, and they're in tenth place. So, I mean, it's – it's any – a lot of teams still have a chance to make the playoffs. Hawks are six and a half back. I mean, it's – Anyone can make the playoffs at this point in time, I believe. Yeah, I mean, the Hawks are theoretically going to get some guys back before the end of the season. Chris Dunn, I have no idea. He's an enigma. But Bogdan Bogdanovich and DeAndre Hunter should be back and contributing for them before the the season is done. But, I mean, you look at at really any of the teams outside of Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee, the fourth-seeded Pacers are 15-14, and and then you look at the Magic, they are 13-18. and So that's not a really huge margin. There's a lot of changes to be had here uh, with really over half the season left to go. I think the only team you can really count out of it right now is the Pistons. They are very clearly the the, the, the Jeremy Grant show. Yeah, well, yeah, and minus Blake Griffin now because yeah. Blake's like, I'm done here. Yeah. Get out. I mean, he's done with his exile to uh, Detroit. <laughs> yeah, I, I was not a fan of that move for him or for the team when it first happened. And, I mean, he has just been not even remotely the same player ever since then, especially this season. He hasn't dunked in, no. I believe, two to three years. It's crazy. It, what kind of stat is that? I mean, hasn't he, the guy who won a dunk contest jumped yeah. over a Kia? I mean, he, yeah, he he was he was one of the, the part of the tandem in Lob City. Yes, it was called Lob City for yeah. a reason because he dunked every single night. There yeah. wasn't a night that went by that where he didn't take a dunk. I mean, it's insane. That just shows you how much you just wanted to get out. He wasn't mm. going to give them any reason to be happy about him in Detroit. Yeah, and I mean, D- Detroit sports fans have already endured more misery than they are d- deserving of. So, I mean, he's just kind of piling it on there. I can't really uh, support that. But, I mean, it- it's whatever he wants that's best for his career, maybe he can revitalize it for a year or two somewhere else with a change of scenery. This, this is what Detroit gets for the bad boy Pistons. They're mean <laughs> to all of us. Ba- they're mean to the rest of the league back in the day, and now yep. they're getting their comeuppance. Exactly. So. But let's move on to a little bit of the NHL because we want we want to talk about NHL. Yeah. We want to talk about hockey here. Yeah, we never get the chance to do it. It's <laughs> the first time in ages. I actually, I mean, aside from the Stanley Cup, just in passing, I can't remember the last time we talked about it. Exactly. And I want to talk about the big story from the NHL weekend this past week where they had their, it was really cool idea. I love the, it's so smart. I mean, they played a hockey game on Lake, or just <clears throat> off Lake Tahoe. Yeah. I mean, Lake Tahoe is ju- like literally 20 yards away from a part of the rink. A picture, picturesque setting for this game. I mean, and they decided to play the game, at, the first game between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. They played it, I believe, one o'clock around their time. Yeah, I think so. Not a great idea, considering ice and sun don't really go together. That happened, and so they were able to play one period of hockey before taking a nine-hour break yeah. between the first and the second period. Yeah, you, you see weather delays a lot in, say, football or maybe with the Daytona 500 recently. That was a long, long great delay. Great race. Such a great race. Yeah, and I mean, th- there's nothing you can do about that. But in this scenario, like, there is a very clear mismatch between the ice rink and the, the sun, the biggest star that, uh, t- the clo- that touches there. Yes, I mean, it, Gary Bettman not being yeah. able to understand that the sun is going to yeah. be a factor, a huge yeah. factor in this game. I mean, the sun won the day. I mean, the sun's won, sun won NHL yeah. zero. And it's it's just a boneheaded mistake by the NHL to schedule this game at the time they did. 
Yeah, I'm also a little upset that we only got one uh, one period of action because Mike Tirico was on the call for this game. So you don't usually see him on the call for NHL games. He's usually he's, more he's he's a football. He's player. usually there for the NA, the Winter Classic and the yeah. big games closer yeah. to the end of the season. But yeah, I mean, Sebastian, I see you uh, jumped I in. Know, with your, I know. I popped in because I, I need to explain like why the the game was at its period of time. Sure, it was a massive blunder, not understanding that that ice melts and exposed <laughs> sun. Um, just common sense, guys. But, Elementary but at the same school time, science. The, the, the whole point of the game was like, Lake Tahoe is a beautiful place. Yes, right? for sure. And we're, we're like, it is like, we got some great, great pictures out of, out of that <laughs> outdoor game. Uh, the problem is obviously like, you know, um, the ice quality. I mean, everybody here, I think, know, knows better than anyone that, that, that main, that main team environment is hard. Yes. Uh, I know for sure that especially the, the Southern teams like have a hard time keeping quality ice, like in check. Uh, you read any article by the athletic where they do their player polls. It's like, who's got the best ice? Who's got the worst ice? The best ice is usually in Canada and the worst ice is usually down South. I know, uh, like I know I'm not trying to put like, you know, I'm not trying to rib like nudge your ribs or whatever. Um, or uh, review, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, uh, for it. But, like, I know Sunrise is notorious for not having great ice. Uh, the, um, I haven't heard that many complaints anymore from uh, Amelie Arena, but I, I've heard it in the past. Well, so. it makes sense that the Panthers have bad ice in Sunrise because they're playing on the other side of the highway next to the Everglades. I mean, yeah. you're playing in a swamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I can under I, I can understand why they scheduled that at the time. I think they could have done like an afternoon game. They, I mean, you, if you want to... eyeballs in it on it, like they still got it in the time zone that they wanted. Like nine o'clock was midnight for us. Yeah. But yeah. for for uh, for the for the West Coast, it was like a, a still a primetime game. Yeah, and they and they did the next game. So they had the Avalanche and Knights going on in the fir- on Saturday, and then they had Bruins Flyers for the second game on Sunday. And they played that game closer to around sundown. And the pictures are still just as great. It's really cool. But it's still not a great idea. And like this, I'm looking at one of the pictures from that game. It's still amazing what it looks like because yeah. it's Lake Tahoe. It's on a beautiful lake and and a, and it was really cool because there were no fans allowed. It was no, like, stadium buildup around them. Mm-hmm. And I really do believe, like, the NHL has done their stadium series stuff before. They played a game in Los Angeles. They've obviously done their Winter Classics all around the North. But, I mean, doing a fanless game like this, I mean, this is the best season to obviously do it, but I believe this needs to be a mainstay in the NHL, doing it in kind of picturesque I, locations I, like I this. I don't know. Like, I, I I know that they're going to do one. They Why aren't they still going to do the one in, up in Canada? Uh, there, probably, a, no, they'll probably be doing that. Yeah. There, for for those of you at home, I'm I'm blanking on the name, unfortunately. But there's this one location. I think it's in Victoria. I want to say would it's it either be Victoria over or on the West, in British Columbia, yeah. over near Vancouver. That would make yeah. sense. I mean, that that also be a really good uh, place. To but watch there's game. this one location where the ice is borderline crystal clear. Oh. It's very. It's an extremely pretty place. You know, it's it's almost like holding ground for hockey, and um, the NHL for years has discussed um, playing a game there. And it looks like they finally have a chance to do it this year, so they might go ahead and do it. I'm not. I'm. It was part of their their outdoor. It was going to be a part of their outdoor series this year. I'm not entirely sure. But if that still gets done, you're going to see like everything that you saw today, just or um, over this past weekend. But it, you're going to see a massive improvement because it's just flat yes. out colder. And I also think for that game, they won't be able to do it on any sort of body of water. They'll have to build a rink because you can't take a zamboni out on a lake because that thing probably will fall through i know no i don't know how thick that ice so, gets because so I, I don't know ice so i'm from I, florida ice will um 
like you can you can drive your truck across ice if it's thick enough. It doesn't even yeah. have to be like oh you you think of that like as a as a Floridian. It's like oh it's got to be a few feet thick. And it's, no yeah. no. It, honestly, like I think like like you, I am also Floridian, so I'm not an expert on this, but I think it only has to be a few. Maybe it, it definitely is less than a few feet. I'm gonna say it's three feet <laughs> thick and not even three feet thick, and this, you can drive a truck over that easily. This is an interesting mix of, mix of math and science that we have here going yeah. on on Tomahawk Talk. I've done a quick Google search, and it said it can be about two feet thick. Okay. So I mean, there you that's go. I mean, that's still I don't know. Yeah, obviously, I don't know the science behind any of this. So my theory is. Big Zamboni doesn't do well on ice. No. That's just my common sense, and maybe the NHL should use a little bit of common sense because obviously they did not right here. But let's talk about some of the Sunshine uh, teams Sunshine here for a minute. That I mean, that what a great series of hockey we had between the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning a couple weeks ago. Panthers ended up winning the majority of those games. I believe it was it was the two two to one to the Panthers um, yes. and a series where the the scores where both teams Nutty. won their games by four points. It Easily, was, I mean, it was it was great. It was a lot of fun hockey to watch. Maybe not the best quality in terms of like getting a shoot, uh, like a true like one nothing game or a yeah. two nothing game, but just fun hockey. And both these teams are playing so well. Florida is currently down one. We say that right now. Florida is down one nothing to Dallas at the end of the first, and Tampa is down one nothing to Carolina at the end of the first. But moving the Panthers and the Lightning to the Central, where we get the quote lesser quality opponents huge for these two teams because the Panthers have all especially for for Florida right yes. where where Florida let's 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 be honest the Atlantic is a bloodbath and if you have to be incredibly good to be um to, to survive team. the yeah to survive the Atlantic because that's what you do you don't you don't really thrive in the Atlantic you survive it yeah and the um, Panthers always skate by as maybe as barely just making the playoffs or missing the playoffs they, they every single season that's how it always goes don't make it. Yeah. yeah they all like last year for the expanded playoffs that they did the Panthers just narrowly made it with the Canadians to get those last couple spots there and that was fun because I mean you don't we don't get that much playoff hockey down in South Florida I think the last time before that was the 2015 season where let's just say they maybe some bad calls against the Islanders in those series. But still, I mean, having those two good teams down here in Florida, I mean, obviously the Lightning are the reigning Stanley Cup champs, but also having another quality team playing to this uh, this level is huge because, I mean, the Panthers, I mean, just when the Panthers were playing the Lightning, they were 1-2 and two in the Central. As of right now, the Panthers are sitting at 3 and the Lightning are sitting at four, but that's just because some COVID stuff. I mean, the, the Lightning, Lightning you're talking about for two show, weeks in January. Yeah, they have four. They've played four less games than the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, who have 19. So they got a lot of ground still left to make up, and they have four four game series against Carolina. They already played the first. They're playing the second right now, and then they got two more the rest of this week. But it's these two teams expect them to be at the top of the Central come playoff time. The Atlantic expats have delivered on how they have absolutely torched uh, the mainstays in the Central. Uh, Dallas, Chicago, and Detroit really don't, you know, bring it. I know, I know even um, Nashville, Nashville, but they haven't been as good. Be just after like, they haven't been good in a while. Nashville's honestly, um, and I, I, I forgot uh, Columbus and Nashville, and that's because they're they're merely afterthoughts. I we're going like we. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We we are setting ourselves up to be struck down by the hockey gods so well right now, Gary. It's we're awesome. laughing in their face. But we're we, giving them the finger. We're doing everything yeah, to piss them off. But but like honestly, 
the, these the the central is is like a sick dog and you you brought in three playoff team playoff caliber teams two i would say guaranteed playoff caliber teams uh carolina and tampa and then a team that has developed into a yes we have finally arrived we are the florida panthers and we are going to take no prisoners um Unfortunately for 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 the Bolts, you have a four game stretch or a three game stretch. I'm not. I'm, I don't recall which one it is exactly. Four game stretch against four, Carolina. Four game stretch against Carolina, and that is the hardest stretch of games that you're going to play this season. So things will be get, uh, things will get better before the All Star break. Um, so that, that there is some there is some good to be found on this season, but it's going to be a hard season, obviously, or a, a hard series. Obviously, you dropped the first game against Carolina, four to zero. Uh, not a pretty loss at all. But I'm glad you get to play um, teams like this in succession so many times. You get to figure things out. What worries me is... You'll get figured out. Yeah, yeah and you'll get figured out. Yeah, exactly. It's that's, a give yeah. and give. But um, honestly, I, I sound very, very arrogant. I don't sound we, like myself. We are both sounding very arrogant because I've been, I've been arrogant on Twitter about the Cats this whole season. I mean, like I, I go into every single Panther season expecting to be disappointed come mid-season, end of the year, like when they start to fizzle out, but... I'm riding so high right now. Yeah, and, and, this, and, and I mean, like Sebastian is pretty much the king of, I'm not going to say good things about my team because I don't want them to come back and bite me, and bite oh, me yeah. in the butt. So yeah. this is kind of refreshing this to see. Post-championship like Sebastian is truly built yeah. differently. I, I like it. I can't wait till football season. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that, this is the Buccaneers. They're, all bets are off at the Buccaneers. Yeah. I have any time. Uh, one good season will not change that. Or will uh, it? <laughs> We'll wait to see on that. But I want to, before we get to the end of the show, I, we got to talk about some Champions League. We've come yeah. so far. We've been. Can we, can we not? Why? You don't want to talk about. I, I mean, guys, I can't. Wait, you guys don't want to talk about Champions League? Aren't, aren't you guys Tottenham United? United aren't you guys now? in it? Huh? No? 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 You, what? You, 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 guys are in the, you, guys, you guys are in the Europa He is League? talking a lot for somebody who's <laughs> seen his side lose four at home, oh, including right. one and that is, they haven't won again. And is in sixth in the EPL. Yeah. And that's, what, yeah. that's why on our sheet here, I have I am hitting the panic button yeah. on Liverpool right now because they have not been playing up to snuff in the EPL. Oh, but come on. They got, lucky with the, they got lucky with the Leipzig draw, yeah. and they were able to win 2-0 at Leipzig. That's two away goals. That's great going into the home leg of the second leg of that uh, Champions League round of 16. So that's really great. But, I mean, there are so many good games going on in the Champions League this this past week and now this week. I mean, we had the 3-2 Dortmund-Sevilla game. Dortmund won. 4-1 PSG-Barcelona. PSG won. 2-1 Porto. I mean, Porto came out and put a good work on Juventus in that game. And that might not be too good for uh, the black and white of the the top of the Italian league, but mm. they are. It's it's got we got a lot coming up. I mean, is there any other games that you like going forward? Maybe matchups, possible upsets. Um, I just like Atletico Madrid versus Chelsea because yes. it's it's going to be Chelsea's first taste of really international competition without Frank Lampard. Uh, they sacked him a little earlier, mm-hmm. so gonna see. Uh, I mean, they've been doing really well in Champions League. I think they've won like. Four, three or four of their last five matches. So, going to be weird or going to be interesting to see if they can keep that up uh, in Champions League competition. But I saw that you mentioned in the in the documents if it's just going to be if we're on track for PSG Bayern. Obviously, City, yeah. Man City yeah, is yeah, still yeah, there. City. They got like, the they, they are they are dominating in in England right now. I fully expect them to translate that performance to international play as well, as, as yes. much as it pains me to say. Yeah, I know that is that's scary to see City playing that good football yeah. and going into a European competition because it is really those three teams. It's Bayern, uh, City, 
and uh, PSG right now yeah. when it's the top of the top of that league. I know Byron's the reigning Champions League champions. They also won the Club World Cup a couple weeks ago, but it's going to be a tough, tough stretch going forward for the Champions League. I, I do not expect Liverpool. I expect Liverpool to make it out of the yeah. round of 16. They should be able to at least get a nil-nil draw against Leipzig at home. They got their two away goals, but... Going into the next, going to that round of eight, I am not looking forward to it, especially because I mean Liverpool has just been decimated with injuries. Mm. The quality of play is down. They just cannot move. The front three is just stagnant. Yeah, the timing is just not great for them. Even though they have been a, a force to be reckoned with in the Premier League and Champions League for years past. I mean, but we're just looking at Barca and Juventus. I mean, it, it's going to be tough to stomach potentially uh, Messi and Ronaldo going out in the round of sixteen again. Yeah, I mean that'll be a huge hit. That could be a huge hit for ratings. I think, uh, well, I don't think the Europeans care much for ratings anymore. But what for me, it's like... It's money. <laughs> well, uh, you're, you're right. But um, for me, Barca's... You can write up Barca. Yeah, it's no, done. They're, it's, they're, it's done. It's like, a, yeah. it's... And it, it's such a way for... I know the La Liga season is not over. Yeah. But um, such a way for that man, that man's time at that club to end. Mm. Uh, what a what a miserable like if if you're a Barca fan and I know we have a couple here, uh, not in this room but here at the station, uh, Gabe, <laughs> Gabe specifically. Rest in but peace. what a miserable miserable way to see that um, organization will kind of usher him out of the door. Um, this isn't about money. Well, it it actually is all. It about is all money. about money. With, <laughs> it is all Messi about money. With, if you didn't know, he's talking about Messi and his tiff that he's it, been it's having. It's not. It's not like a no. But I'm not saying it in the sense of like, oh, I want to be paid because it's, it's Messi. You can you can offer him ownership of half the club, and yeah. and no fan would would or not even the uh, the supporters would uh, blink an eye, right? Mm-hmm. It's like he's earned it at this point. But the way that the board mismanaged every component around him, from the management to the to star players and just letting generation generational talent after generational talent either rot or just walk away is shambolic. I mean, you could write a uh, the 21st century. You could write one book about how truly great and wonderful Barcelona were for the first 10 years and then how absolutely miserable they were for the last 10. I think it, re- um, and it really comes down to also their academy. I mean, Tifo Football did a great video on explaining the issues and how Barcelona has come to a screeching halt. And it's crazy to watch because I didn't know too much about it, admittedly, uh, before, prior. But after seeing that, it's like, wow, they are really in a lot of trouble. This is And, and you were right with with how it all boils down to money because finances weren't great before the pandemic. And nowadays they're, they are about as dire, twice as dire as anybody else, I'd say, uh, apart from the clubs at the, in the second and third tiers of, across Europe that are truly limping when it comes to, to uh, income. Um, a, a club won't bankrupt itself off of a couple or a few dozen coronavirus tests a week. And when it bankrupts itself is on the macro. And once again, I come back to the mismanagement of that board and how long that board dragged its feet on trying to, to get removed. Because nobody wants to be the guy. It's like, oh, man, you let you let Messi go. Um, but in reality, they, it was a foregone conclusion. Um, we don't. We obviously don't know where he's going. Man City. Uh, we've heard Man City. <laughs> yeah. it, he's going to play. I, honestly, like that's just that's some darkest timeline stuff. Where it's well, like he goes to Man wait, City. Yeah, we we heard rumors. I think before the before the La Liga season yes, started, that he, that he would go to Man City and then play three, three seasons yeah, and then come to NYCFC. That is not well, I, that is not Messi's final. That makes me well, like, well, want to well, puke in, in my mouth. It's it's disgusting. Yeah. Well, in was it? I think a, a recent or a more recent quote from Messi. He said he wants to play in America. Okay, he wants okay. to. 
play. I mean, he wants to play over here. Bring, bring him over. Let's bring him on to Inter Miami. Let's go. That'll be great. Him and David Beckham. <laughs> I, I just don't know if that's the direction MLS is going because, like, they've brought David Beckham over a couple. Or, um, not a couple times. They brought him over. They brought Kaká over a couple times now. Yeah, because he was over I mean, when he yeah. played, and now he's an yeah, owner. As a player, as an owner, yeah, but. The, from what I can tell, they're trending away from these sort of not washed, but like big name players on the brink of it's retirement. Retirement signings. homes, yeah. It's retirement they're the home. they, they are trying to move away from that image. They're trying to be a, a real development league, a farm league, I guess you could say for for the big five. Well, that's what they're that yeah, that's what they're coming off as. I mean, you've had a uh, few good players. I mean, you have, I mean, obviously didn't play in. Uh, America prior, but you have Serginho Dest, who plays for Barcelona. I mean, you have a few good guys coming out of there. We could go on for hours about how, Weston McKinney had a goal for Juventus today. On the flip side, they're like, what what does every young kid, uh, what every young, good American kid go? Like, they go go east. They go go, across the pond. And for the most part, like, the good American kids were already growing up in in places like Germany. Serginho Dest. Around around, uh, American bases in Germany. Like, um... That we could go on for hours and hours and hours about yeah, how soccer is. And a personally, weird I could go on for like a few minutes on like my personal disdain for the MLS. Because if you want, if you want good soccer here in the Americas, you you go to Comnable, or you go you go basically to to South America. I mean, that's my personal like, oh, Hispanic biases no, you, and stuff like that. You're right with that because I mean, obviously, the MLS is not the top yeah. when it comes to the Concacaf, yeah, and we've no. seen it year in and year out. I mean, yeah. I don't fo- like. That even goes to show you, like, we don't follow the CONCACAF Champions League. They I have mean, a Champions League, and we and MLS I mean, teams play in it. It's because it doesn't matter, Gary. Exactly, It yeah. really does not matter. That's like, why co- we'll like the Copa Libertadores and uh, the other uh, competition. Uh, holy shimoli, I forgot co- what it's not, called. No, no, uh-huh. I was thinking of a different tournament. But, yeah, no, uh, it, there's multiple, like, tournaments w- yeah. within the Americas here, and no one knows like, they're The happening. international tournaments like in South America, like, people actually watch those across, you know, across uh, Latin America. Yeah, like, and even bo- in like Europe, Boca Juniors and all the ones yeah. from Argentina. Yeah, and you play, have, uh, yeah. Santos. Um, yeah, Brazil, all those countries. They have such quality clubs, but obviously none of that is bleeding over to the Americas, or to North America and in the MLS. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a mess of it going forward, but I really do... I think brighter days are ahead for the MLS, of course. and it's and for I don't know about the rest of European football because that's just how it's all kind of working out at this moment. But it's going to be a lot of fun going forward. I know we let went a little bit over time. I mean, hey, we got some we soccer and some hockey talking in this, this last is, half. This is really good up, guys, for that one there. Hey, great job on us. This. All I know is that my my roommate Nick Carlisle is turning over in his metaphorical grave right now. Tell him tell him that we <laughs> like, talked hockey and we talked soccer and baseball too. We like did Texas all of Texas has in fact like this is the state of things. <laughs> Texas froze over. Yeah. And there was <laughs> hockey and soccer on Tomahawk talk. He, he's like, gonna he's gonna come in here next week and put a stop to this. You yeah. know that right. We're no, gonna like, we're gonna have to change the codes in all are, buildings here. I think things are gonna come to a head when you guys are gonna finally let me talk about Formula One in March, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, no, I'm great, kidding. Great, <laughs> I've been, I've been trying to. I've been trying to watch a little bit of that Formula Drive One. Drive to Survive yeah, season three. I've been trying to watch a little bit of that. It's yeah, it's just we got so much other sports right now. I, Don't I'll, worry about it. I'll watch some of the. I'll watch. Was it Bahrain to start the season? Yeah. I'll I'll pr- I'll try and tune into a little bit of that once we get to the start of the season there. But yeah. yeah I think that's all we got. I mean, that was a packed show, guys. Yeah. Great job. But, yeah, so that's all we got for this episode of Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee. For myself, for Sebastian, for Austin, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next Monday, 7 p.m., like always. Until then, uh, have a good week. Yeah. New release is not up next. New release is not up next. <laughs> Stay positive, test negative. Exactly. But I know-